You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and we turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Last Sunday we began to consider Revelation, the book of Revelation. We got as far as verse 11. Let's continue, therefore. We'll read from Revelation 1, the verses 12 to 20. Let us listen then to the word of God as we hear the Apostle John speaking, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the invitation is out again today. Our host, the Lord Jesus Christ, is once again inviting us to partake of his supper, his holy meal. He bids us eat the bread and drink from the cup in remembrance of him and of all that he has accomplished. But who is he? Who is this host of ours? Well, you can say that our Lord Jesus Christ is many things. He is the one who was born as a babe in Bethlehem. He is the God-man who came to Israel. He is the great teacher of his people. He is the awesome miracle worker. He is the sacrifice for our sins and the mediator of the covenant. Indeed, he is many, many things. This host of ours, you can say, the one who invites us today, is truly, truly remarkable. But nevertheless, listing all of the things that I have just listed does not do him justice. No, if we want to do him even greater justice, then we need to add to what has been said in the book of Revelation about him. For you can say that in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus Christ in a totally new and even startling manner. And as a matter of fact, if you want to sum it up, you can say we see him as someone like a son of man. 
Now, from our scripture reading, you know that that expression, someone like a son of man, is taken from verse 13. And it pretty well captures what you find here in the verses 12 to 20 of chapter 1. And we should consider that for a moment in some detail. Beloved, last time when we looked at this particular chapter, we ended, as I mentioned, with verse 11, where a loud voice, a voice like a trumpet, was speaking. And the voice had told John, the apostle, to write. But now in verse 12, you'll notice John turns in the direction of where this voice is coming from. And when he does, he sees seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of those lampstands, right in the center, there's someone like a son of man. Well, who is this son of man? Well, the first thing you should note about him is he's very, very hard to describe. John uses the language of similes, expressions that begin with words like as and like. He is someone, notice, with hair as white as snow. His eyes are like burning fire. His feet are like bronze. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters. And by saying it this way, John is really telling us that it's actually very difficult to capture what I saw with human words. But in any case, he tries. He tries to capture it. And then you'll notice when he does so, he first of all begins with the clothes. He says he is dressed, this someone that I saw is dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and he has a golden sash around his chest. Now that tells us something. It tells us that this person being presented to us here is someone of great importance. At that time, slaves and servants and workers wore short tunics. Only dignified and special people wore long robes that reached all the way to the ground. And they were especially dignified if they had golden sashes around their chest. But yeah, that's not all that we see, not just clothes. We also are told about some of this person's features. Notice his head and his hair are white like wool. And as such, you'll notice that here actually there is a reference going back to Daniel 7 verse 9 where we are introduced to the Ancient of Days whose clothing and hair are both white like snow, white like wool. In other words, John is saying that this person I'm describing is not only very important, but he's also pure, he's he's holy. He's divine. By connecting him to the ancient of days, he's underlining the aspect of divinity. And then John goes on to describe his eyes. He says they're like blazing fire. And what that means really is that these eyes of this person sees through everything and and everyone, everywhere. There is nothing that can be hidden from the sight or the gaze of the Son of Man. He's invested with truly remarkable eyes. 
And not only remarkable eyes, but also remarkable feet. His feet are like bronze glowing in the furnace. And what that means is that these feet of his have great stability and strength. This person is, in other words, no pushover. You can't shove him over. You can't shove him aside. That's impossible because of how he's rooted and and grounded and the kind of feet he has. But then you can say, beloved, to remarkable eyes and remarkable feet, there's also a remarkable voice. His voice, John writes, was like the sound of rushing waters. And of course that means it's, it's loud. It penetrates. It, it dominates. In other words, what that really means is that the rhetoric and the propaganda of this world is not going to be able to drown him out. This is someone who's going to be heard when he speaks. Everyone will hear him. And none can ignore him. Well, from there, beloved John moves from what this person is like to what he has, and he says in his right hand he holds seven stars. And, of course, that's really hard to imagine, isn't it? First, that right hand stands for security, safety, and protection, and that in that hand somehow there are seven stars, which means there's a tremendous amount of light shining out of that right hand of the Son of Man. And thereafter, John goes on to describe the strangest thing of all. He says that out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does that portray? Well, break it down. And that's often what you need to do with the imagery in the book of Revelation. You need to break it down. What is a double-edged sword commonly used for but for battle, for fighting, for conquering? And what's a mouth usually good for, for speaking and sometimes for singing? So taken together, what we have here is someone who is going to conquer not with a real sword, but with his mouth, with his words, with his truth, with what he says, and what he utters. The greatest arsenal in his artillery or in his whatever you call it, is not in terms of missiles and guns and tanks, but it is in terms of words and speech and truth. And finally, there is one more thing that you need to consider, and that is his face, which is shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. The sun is our source of light. And what does this shining light of the Son of Man portray? But someone who is the light of the world and the glory of God. 
And so, beloved, when you take it together, what you see here is a very amazing, disturbing, unusual, even stunning description. It's a description of our Savior, of course, but it's a description unlike any other. You can say, we've never, ever, up until now, seen our Jesus, our Savior, like this. We've never even dreamed of him being like this. And just when we think that we know him and get kind of comfortable with him, we get told this. And isn't that a shock? We thought we knew it. But there's even more dimensions to him that we don't know. And you know, there's no doubt that John would agree with our assessment for what happens when he sees this awesome, indescribable sight. It says, I fell at his feet as though dead. It so utterly and absolutely floored me. It knocked me off my feet. But then notice what happens next. The hand. That right hand that has the seven stars in it. That right hand of protection reaches out and touches him and raises him up. In other words, the hand that controls the cosmos becomes very personal, very direct. It comforts and revives and consoles John, one of God's children. And thereafter, beloved, the Son of Man begins to speak, and first of all, he identifies himself. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And of course, what that means is he's the beginning and the end of all things. Nothing happens in this world outside of this Son, this Christ. But the origin as well as the goal or the end of history is with Him, as well as everything in between. By saying He's the Alpha and the Omega, Scripture is saying He He has all of time in his hands. He has all of history in his hands. And second, he goes on and he says, I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Clearly, here is the one who is life, who knows death, and who has conquered the grave. He possesses the keys of death and Hades, of the grave. And by saying he possesses the keys, that means he has the power to open and to close. And isn't that the greatest power Imaginable? Isn't that the kind of power that we sometimes dream about possessing this power of life and this power of death, this power of whether we shall live or whether we shall die? But we don't have it. But he does. 
He has the keys. And time and time again, we're reminded of that. Last Wednesday, we buried one of our senior members, Sister Smetty. We placed her body in the ground. But that doesn't mean that we abandon her. No, we, as it were, placed her life in the hand of the living one, of the key holder, of the conqueror over death and the grave. He takes care of her. He takes care of all of his children throughout this life and into the life to come. And so, beloved, thus far, the Son of Man identifies himself. But notice he also issues a command to John. John is told once again to write. He's to relate what he's seen. That's the past. He is to relate what he sees now, which is the present. And he is to relate what is to come, which is the future. John is to write three-dimensionally. He's to capture all of history with his pen. Well, beloved, you might wonder at this point, what is this all about? Where is all of this going? Well, it is going in the direction of the churches. The, the Son of Man further explains the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And I need to say, there is a lot of speculation about these seven angels and their identity Some say they're human messengers. Some say they're bishops of the church. Some say they're the elders of the church. But nobody knows for sure. Certainty on this particular point is impossible. But you know what is possible is to get certainty with respect to who are the ultimate recipients of what the Son of Man is saying. And the ultimate recipients are are the seven churches. And then, of course, first we need to think of the seven churches of Asia Minor at that time. But don't restrict it simply to them. For once it lands with them, it goes out to all the churches of Jesus Christ around the world. The thrust of this message is not to be limited to those churches of the first century. Because the thrust is exceedingly broad. The Son of Man is here speaking to his people locally and universally. And now, of course, I realize that at this point you might want to ask a few more questions. Why does the Lord Jesus Christ appear in this strange kind of way? Why does he come about in such an indescribable, overwhelming, even intimidating manner? Well, beloved, that too has everything to do with his churches, with his people. Remember what we said last time about this people to whom this letter is being written. These people are being buffeted on every side. They're being oppressed and persecuted and slaughtered and tortured throughout the entire Roman world. The emperor Domitian has it in for them. 
They're in desperate shape. And they fear for their life and their existence. And depression and despondency are close at hand. And the churches are rapidly becoming stressed out and gloomy and all but hopeless. They're suffering in this baptism of fire and of blood. Now in such a situation, what do God's people need? Surely they need to be reminded about the greatness and the glory of their Savior. And that's what this appearance of Jesus, of the Son of Man, is all about. It reminds us people that Christ is more than a carpenter, more than a teacher, more than a miracle worker, more even than a mediator. He's the ruler supreme. He's the conqueror divine. He's the protector almighty. He's the sovereign all-glorious. He's the sustainer eternal. The church then and the church today needs to embrace this vision of her Savior. And when she does, when the church embraces this vision with heart, soul, and mind, it will never fear again. But rather it will become filled with hope and confidence and newfound courage. It will be able to stand even in the face of the most terrible onslaughts by the devil and this world. And so, beloved, remember, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning, remember. Remember first whose guest you are. There is no host like this host. There is no meal in all the world like this meal. There is no reason for praise and thanksgiving as there is for this. We are the guests of him who is and who has been and who will be and who will overcome the world. Jesus Christ, the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-sustaining, all-powerful, all-glorious one is on our side. And then no matter what life throws at us, even what death throws at us, we are going to win. We are going to win because the Son of Man is on our side and in our camp. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.